Hello and welcome to another episode of Finding My Voice. It is episode 43 and I'm just going to give you a little bit of quick happy news that will give you a little bit of education in, uh, in the um, process of transitioning. And then again, some little roleplay talk of something I realized. Okay, here we go. Uh, I got my test results back for, uh, for my hormone levels. I do it four times a year while I am using foreign medicine. Uh, I'll have to do it fewer times when I'm finally on Swedish medicine. That will be another at least four or five months before I'm on that. Because it's going to save me so much money. Going abroad is super expensive, but here we go. Um, my estrogen levels are at 800, which is good. It's high, and I want it to be high because it's, you know, running a female puberty, which is awesome. Uh, testosterone levels uh, have been, like, going up and down, but they've been good. They've been really good for over a year now. Um... Testosterone levels for cis men, the target level is like between 15 and 30. Uh, once you get like close to 8, then you probably need supplements if you're a man. Um, first, about 8, 9 months, I was kind of like going down 7 or 6, so below safe area for men. I wanted to go lower and they introduced finasteride into my medicine. Then I went under 5. I was there for about a year. Um, and then, like, about six months ago, seven months ago, uh, I was uh, below three. I've been, I've been around 1.1, 1.3 since then, and which is good. Like, cis women should be between 0.7 and 3. So anything below three is perfect, really. Anything below five is considered female <clears throat> in sports circuits. Um, so it's really good. As long as I'm below five, it's good. But, and I've been around, like, 1, 1.2. Uh, before, which is great, really, but I wanted to be lower because having grown up, having gone through a male puberty, uh, apparently I have more receptors for testosterone than a cis woman would have, which means testosterone is more effective on me. So I really would like to be a little bit lower. I'm I was already at low stages because um, women who have a lot of testosterone are usually around five. Uh, if you're below three, you're already like. If you're below one and a half, you're already in the low. Um, but I wanted to be as low as possible because I want my puberty to go really well. And right now, I am at 0 0.6. I'm really happy here. If I get down like below like 0 0.4 or something, then yeah, I'm going to have to be careful. But 0 0.6, this is a really good place to be. My hormone levels are very, very um, um, female, uh, considering like the normal target numbers lying uh, below the female testosterone levels, which is good, uh, as I mentioned, because of my receptors. I'm in a really good place hormonally right now. It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> really happy about that. And a couple of more years like this, I'm going to see more dist redistribution of fat. You never know how much of that you get, but at least it looks like I'm, I've already had some, obviously. Like there's breast development. My face looks a bit different. Um, and... Uh, uh, the butt area, <laughs> some, I, I, not much has happened to the hips yet. I'm really hoping for more hips. Um, but yeah, the, the female puberty is going to take between four and six years and I'm approaching the two year mark. So it's going well so far. I'm, I'm happy with my development. So that was a bit of, of chemical transition um, <laughs> education for you cis people out there. If you have any questions regarding that, oh, hang on. Uh, I have spoken about um, the chemical effects like I have definitely noticed a reduced strength. 
I cannot lift things as easily as I could before. I cannot open jars as easily as I could before, or open packages, like paper packages and stuff like that, as easily as before. My fingers aren't as strong. None, none of my muscles are. It was a, an expected side effect, so I'm not sad about it. It's just very noticeable. Actually, quite encouraging, because I know that's how I know things are really happening. Uh, there are other things like sense of taste and smell has improved quite a bit. It's really cool when I like taste something like, whoa, okay, there's a lot of that. <laughs> it's really good. Um, I'm really noticing really cool effects. Anyway, any more questions about how those chemicals feel? You can, you can always ask me. I love answering these questions when they are asked in good faith. Now for the roleplay stuff. Um, it's not totally roleplay stuff, but one thing I've noticed, uh, I'm designing my own roleplaying game. As I mentioned, um, it's going to be set in like seven, late 1700s, Swedish, low fantasy setting, like alternate history kind of thing. And I'm setting it in a village that actually exists, about 40 minute drive from my place, so I've actually visited it, and it's amazing. And so I could learn a lot about life there in that village. I love it. It's so cool that I can do this. Um, and I've got some information, like, like for instance, during the time I set it is when potatoes and coffee was introduced to the uh, to, to the village. It's a small village between 26 and 40 people historically, which is a small scope. And I love that because it can really focus the way I create the game. Uh, I've noticed that, like, I don't want a big sandbox. I want a focused experience. Like, you're still going to be able to create any character you want, and your characters are going to do what they want in the context of the setting, but you're going to live in this village, and you're going to have responsibilities. The point is how you live your life when supernatural things are happening around you, when the, these mysteries are happening around you, and how you maintain your friendships. I wanted that to be the core. And in order to do that in a game, you have to be focused. You cannot make a sandbox. You cannot join the army and, and fight Saruman, you know? Like, this is supposed to be a specific type of story. Free League in Sweden have understood this. When they made Blade Runner, for instance, you cannot be any other profession than police or a consultant for the police, because you are a Blade Runner. You are working on the kind of case that the, the, the game wants to tell, uh, tell stories in. And I feel that that's a very smart thing to do, to focus the game rather than make it as open as possible. Because now I can fill it with senses and, and, and information that just makes the world come alive. I learned <laughs> how coffee was introduced, like... People didn't have coffee for breakfast. Coffee was like a specific, like a big thing. When there was a coffee, um, a coffee party, the whole village would gather. They'd make, someone would make the coffee. And I've been in the room, uh, in the kitchen, where this was done in the village I'm setting the game. That is so cool. Um, they would, they would uh, roast the beans, the coffee beans, in a frying pan over a fire. Then they would grind, uh, grind the beans and they put it back in the frying pan add water, and they brew it in the in the frying pan. And they'd sieve it a bit. Of course, it would be murky compared to today's coffee, but that's how they made it. And then the whole village would gather for a big party. They would entertain each other. I read that the men would bring, uh, would bring booze, alcohol, and tobacco and trade. Uh, the women would bring crafts like embroideries and things like this. The, the biggest export in, in, of, of this village is fabric. Uh, so they would have a lot of fabric-related crafts, and the women would teach each other uh, their tips and tips and techniques and trade things as well. Uh, so coffee was a big event, and I am going to add that like in the description of the game. 
and I'm also going to write a book, a story taking place in the same world as the game. I'm actually going to write the story before I finish the game because I want to write the kind of story that I want the players to be able to tell as an example kind of thing. And, and I'm really excited about it. And we'll definitely add the coffee thing and potatoes and all that stuff. And I've also read some of their customs and beliefs. Like, like they believed if they hang a dead crow over the horse's back in the stables, you would nullify any spells put upon, I don't know if they were put upon the horse or the village, but that's how you, you know, how remove curses and spells and hexes. I thought, okay, and um, it would have like the skull of sheep under the floorboards in the kitchen because this would prevent famine. There's a lot of wonderful things like this that ha that people actually believe there, and I can include that in my story and by extent role-playing games. And these things really color how much I can immerse myself to know the culture, to know that if I'm playing like a, a, like a girl helping out in the kitchen, I know that there are sheep skulls under my feet. That doesn't, doesn't have to mean much. Just the knowledge just makes it magical. I love it. So this was a quickie. And I would like you, if you're listening, to message me on the, in the way you can uh, on queencaddies.com, my blog, or the, where I post these uh, locally. Um, you can comment and stuff because I want to hear about your experiences in extreme immersion in role-playing games. The things like the coffee and the knowledge around you. I'm going to talk more about that, but I'm in a hurry because I got a journey to make. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and my chemical progress. <laughs> and uh, thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>